0: the host of Bezik on Stocks. As a reminder, nothing here is investment advice. You wouldn't take investment advice from a paper mache cat now, would you? Everything's for education and entertainment purposes only. So for today, I wasn't planning on having an episode, but uh, we've got an emergency here. Um, uh, Technoglass, a company that I've covered for years, crashed as much as 45% this morning, uh, following a, a report from Hindenburg Research uh, this alleges various things against the company, mostly having to do with the management team pointing to their ties to the Colombian cartels in the 1980s and 1990s, uh, undisclosed related party transactions with the family, uh, and some allegations around the quality of their revenues going forward. And let me just say from the top that I really respect Hindenburg. They've done a lot of good work in the past Obviously, they exposed Nicola and the rolling a truck down a hill uh, scandal, and they've done that's far from their only hit. Uh, I thought their recent report on Ginkgo Bioworks was very interesting. Um, so yeah, I want to say Hindenburg Research has done good investigative work on this report as well. There's a lot of interesting information about Technoglass, and they pulled some hard to find documents uh, from the from the Colombian government and other sources. And I think a lot of the work is factually correct. I'll highlight a few quibbles I have with it. Uh, The bigger issue I have is not the work that they did, which I think is mostly fair. Uh, But that a lot of this is either rehashed information that we've known about uh, basically since the spec or is not relevant to the investment thesis. Uh, Meanwhile, the short seller seems to lack key knowledge of how business actually works in Colombia. I think a tweet from Phoenix Value, Greg Capital on Twitter, put it very well. He said, "Quote: I don't have an informed opinion on the company, but I do have ties to Colombia. My main takeaway from it is that Hindenburg, uh, his understanding of the region and how business is done there, is weak." As um, well, backstory about me, I've lived in Colombia for quite a few years now. I'm based out of Cartagena, which is about two hours from where the factory in question and, uh, is located. So. Uh, this is right in my backyard, so I'm very interested. I know people that w- have worked at the factory. I know people that have sold glass for them. Uh, obviously, they're they're a uh, very influential family and figure here where I live. So, this is right in my backyard. I've owned the st- I own the stock uh, starting in 2017. I bought it at ten dollars originally. I doubled down during the pandemic when it got down to five dollars. And then I sold the spring at uh, around $18. I felt it was fully valued at that time. And I'm not sure why. Really, it went up to 34 I thought that price didn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, but anyway, we're back here at, at around 20 So back in the interesting range where I think the stock might be worth buying or paying attention to. Uh, yeah, so let's get into the Hindenburg stuff, what they said, uh, what I think's right, what I think maybe they, they don't understand or they didn't really get. Uh, the most uh, the most salacious stuff in the report, like if you look on Twitter, what everyone's talking about is the cartel stuff. People are posting memes from Narcos or uh Pablo Escobar, all that sort of stuff. And I mean it's very fun in a always Streak way to bring up all this stuff from the past. And from what I can tell it does look like the, the Dice brothers were were involved in some some real nefarious stuff. I'm not discounting any of that at all. Uh, but does this have anything to do with the technoblast investment thesis of today? I don't think so. Uh, what's important to realize is that up until the presidency of Alvaro Uribe in 2002 through 2010, uh, the Colombian central government had very little control over how how things were governed outside of Bogota. And so basically a de facto rule by the cartels on one side and by left wing uh, insurrectionary groups like communist rebels, essentially in other places. And the, the federal government had very little control over how things happened. So the cartels in particular set up their own local governments. Essentially, you had cartel schools, you had cartel charities. Uh, a lot of Colombians looked up to the cartels uh, because they gave them resources that the federal government couldn 't provide uh, Pablo Escobar and other cartel leaders were beloved figures here in Colombia by much of society and We can judge that now, uh, but the government was very weak and also very there were a lot of very bad people in the Colombian government so it 's a uh, I disagree with this black and white view that anyone associated with the cartel uh, was necessarily wrong. Uh, And companies simply had to work with these shadow government structures to get by. If Technoglass and other companies like it had not done uh, sketchy stuff, these companies simply wouldn't exist. There's no way they would have survived uh, given just the realities on the ground in Colombia at that time. So, yeah, you can absolutely say the Dice Brothers did stuff that that we would look down on uh, very harshly today. But any you could make that charge against any Colombian business, I would argue, and I mean you've seen other listed companies in New York like Evolve, have huge bribery scandals, uh, and they did nothing to the share prices. So uh, I just don't see uh, I don't see this being a game changer. This isn't something that knocks five hundred million dollars of value off of Technoglass's share price overnight. Uh, so what changed in Colombia? Uribe put a an iron fist policy and approach to the government. Uh, sent the military out to the little towns uh, and through harsh uh, measures finally cracked down on things and that gave the government control over society again. And so there's kind of a before and after period in Colombia before Uribe and after him uh, when when the Civil War ended after 50 years that kind of usher, ushered in the new modern era in Colombia and hardly anyone talks about here in Colombia, hardly anyone talks about things that happened before the peace agreement. Because it's just kind of a uh, bc ad moment where where everything changed now the old FARC and the old uh revolutionary groups are legal they they have their own political parties they're part of government and society so all these people that were bad in the past are now are now totally they're legitimate actors in society so anyone saying oh they did business with these bad people who are now okay people who have been normalized they just don't understand what's going on here in Colombia. um Let's get to the more recent allegations. I'd say all that stuff related to cartels is interesting, but absolutely no one cares. In Colombia, will make zero impact on the stock price beyond whatever clickbait people post online. Uh, but what, uh, what about the more recent stuff? Uh, the most serious charge here is the related party transactions. Uh, Hindenburg documented a lot of uh, occasions where Technoglass bought or sold. Uh, various things, land, uh, subsidiaries, and finished windows and other goods uh, between family members, nephews, cousins. Some of this has been known for a while. I discussed some of it back in 2017 when I originally bought the stock. I noted it as a risk, their key Florida subsidiary that distributes their glass. Uh, That came out as being a, 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 a related party many years ago. And so Hindenburg has highlighted more things that were not disclosed previously, Uh, but the the idea that the family was dealing with itself on transactions is not something new. And we saw in the Baird came out and defended the stock this afternoon. And they said, basically, we already knew this stuff, uh, which I agree with. Uh, And furthermore, I'd point out that they're, they're located in the Caribbean city of Barranquilla, which is not a very large city. Uh, if you have an extended family of, say, 100 people, uh, you're going to have a lot of relations between people. I mean, there's just how many businessmen are there, a leading businessmen in a city of that size? And so it's not at all surprising that in a society so based on family relations that people would hire their relatives to do stuff. My wife's Colombian from here from the coast from Cartagena and I've met like 60 of her family members since I've moved here so it's like if I were setting up a business in Colombia I'd hire family members too because I know that if her family tries to rip me off then we can hold them accountable through the other family members whereas if I hire a random stranger what, what recourse do I have? So it's just something that's done totally differently here in Colombia than than in New York. And I understand to a somebody based out of New York or London or whatever that this looks suspicious, but I mean you can make the same charge against any company in Colombia or or Mexico or or Argentina or any of these countries in Latin America. Uh, so I would say did did the uh, did Technoglass fail to fully comply with the CC disclosure requirements? Uh, sure, there's a technical violation here. Is that bad? Yeah. Uh, Is it something that makes the company worth $500 million less today than before? No, of course not. Uh, If you told a Colombian, any Colombian, like here in Colombia, what happened, no one would be surprised. Like, oh, they sold to their cousin subsidiary in Florida. Yeah, of course, that's how you do business. And so it's just, I was reading through some of the report with my wife this morning. and She's just like, none of this is surprising. Like, oh, they have a foundation to avoid taxes. Like, yeah, my family's businesses have foundations too. Like everyone has foundations. That's how you do charity. So it's like, oh, is it technically illegal? Maybe. Is the government investigating it? it sure isn't. The corporate tax rate has been 40%. Of course, people are going to set up charities to to uh, run their charitable contributions. Um uh, I think the most clear point where Hindenburg showed a lack of understanding of the local culture here is on the days of sales outstanding charge, uh, which if you look through the Hindenburg report, there's a a nice big chart with Technoglass in red, like, oh, they've got 100 days of sales outstanding, which means they're their uh, customers are taking a long time to pay them. The other US listed firms like uh, PGT and APG are at 50 days of sales outstanding, and there's a French one there as well. And so, our oh, Technoglass has twice as many. Uh, it takes them twice as long to collect from customers. This might indicate that there's some problem, like they have inventory they can't sell, or they're selling to people with bad credit that don't have cash to pay them on time. And that's that's a logical argument. It's something that short sellers should look for. And all else equal, Hindenburg makes a fair point. However. Those 100 days of sales outstanding is is totally typical for Latin America. Like 90-day billing cycle is the standard here. Uh, I was actually doing work back when I worked at the hedge fund here I was working at a, a Mexican cosmetics firm called Hanoma Lab. Uh, which either looked like a fraud or it looked like a great bargain. I think it was at like eight or nine times earnings and the usual stocks in that sector were like 25 times earnings. is growing quickly. And I saw its days of sales outstanding it was 120 days. So I asked my contacts uh, in Latin America, like, hey, is this something I should be worried about? And they're like, no, any consumer products company in, in Latin America is going to have at least 90 days of sales outstanding because you can't bill people for less than three months. Uh, if you do, then they'll just buy from someone else. Uh, and so I I put that aside and it's like okay whatever, and then interestingly a year later the company Hanoma's days of sales outstanding went up to 180 days. I'm like hmm I wonder if this is a problem. And then the next quarter management announced that the the people weren't buying their products and the stock dropped uh, sharply. So it was. The days of sales outstanding was actually something to watch, but 100 days wasn't the number that mattered, and 120 wasn't either. It's was when the company had 180, six months to collect its bills, that's when you ran into problems. But glasses is 100 days, and as I said, 90 days is standard billing in Latin America. So the the Hindenburg comparison just doesn't really make sense. Uh, if they wanted to make a point there, they should compare it to other building supply, building supply makers, like uh, doors or windows or siding or whatever. Uh, tiles uh, traded in Latin America, but instead they compared them to the U.S., which is obviously a totally different market has different standards. And someone might say, "Hey, they sell most uh, Technoglass sells most of their products in the U.S., but they sell them to Colombian-run uh, distributors in Florida. So the people that were raised in Colombia would still use Colombian billing standards. That's what I have to say about that. And that's the biggest. I'd argue that's the most substantial allegation that Hindenburg made about today. Because most of it's like, "Hey, the the DICE Brothers did bad stuff." Twenty years ago, which is fine, I agree, uh, but I frankly don't care. But that's the most—that's the most serious charge they have against the company today: is the state of sales outstanding, and that some of their revenues are supposedly fake. And I just don't see any real evidence of that. Uh, what's interesting, you could even find there's more bad stuff about the Dice Brothers that wasn't even in the Hindenburg report. There was a ticket scalping uh, scam, alleged scam. Uh, involving World Cup tickets because Colombia's World Cup stadium is in Barranquilla and obviously the Dice Brothers kind of run Barranquilla and they were using their power uh, allegedly to to take advantage of, of having early access to tickets and then reselling them at a fat premium and that would, clearly was a bad look when management should be focused on uh, running Technoglass during the day not on coming up with some sort of scheme to take advantage of of its uh, advantageous position in, in the local football scene. So, I mean, there's plenty you could say bad about this management team. After the SPAC was finished in 2014, I think they went through three auditors the first year. They couldn't figure out how to convert the SPAC warrants. Uh, it was a big mess. Like I avoided the stock until 2017, not because I had any issue with the business. I've always liked the business, but you just looked at it, and it was like, this thing's a mess. Like, there are conference calls. Uh, barely anyone spoke English. It was, it, was just, it, was a, it was a rocky start for the company, and I think there's plenty you can say bad about the management team. Uh, I'm totally fine with Hindenburg doing that. Uh, I'm just not sure that any of that matters to the stock price. I mean, you look at their earnings earnings have grown tremendously. We're in the midst of a unprecedented housing boom in the U S particularly in the Sunbelt States like Florida, obviously Florida. has uh, got a nice climate. It's got uh, no income tax. So lots of people have been moving there. Given the salt, uh, the property tax deductions in the U S everyone's buying a house in Florida with the pandemic, the demand for windows through the roof, Technolas has been able to sell uh, orders out six months in advance. Like they have no issue selling products. Um, yeah, you look, they've they've been expanding the factory over and over. They're hiring thousands of additional Colombians. It's been a huge economic boom for the region. Like everything about this business is real, except maybe management has lined its pockets a little bit with like, oh, they overpaid for a subsidiary from their nephew or they, they paid ten million dollars for land for their factory that maybe was worth eight million dollars in a fair market evaluation. Like, did two million dollars disappear? Maybe. I don't know, probably. Uh, but does it matter in the I mean, when you look at the at the size of the company and its growth rate, I think the, I mean, you have some slippage in an emerging market because of governance issues. But on the other hand, you're paying, what, $3 an hour, $4 an hour for labor compared to $40 an hour for labor in the U.S. It's You gain a lot in return for operating in a country such as this one. Um, but then let's get into, I think, the most interesting part is the the political angle, because Hindenburg ends their article uh, kind of going after the political ties of the Dice brothers, who are the CEO and CEO, respectively, of the company. Uh, like the photo that Hindenburg used to 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 publish their article was of uh, President Duque, who's the current president of Colombia, along with the Dice and other members at the Technoglass factory in Barranquilla. Uh, President Duque was there earlier this year. Well, he was there. He called the brothers that run the company geniuses, and he pointed to to Technoglass as a shining example of the new uh, modernized Colombia. traditionally, Colombia's just sold like gold and oil, and and. Uh, coal, very basic goods that don't work well in an ESG world. And so Technoglass has been a leader in producing like a more modern, environmentally friendly good that can help move the economy forward. So you've got Colombia's president there calling the leaders like great people and all and you've got to think about the incentives here. Why why would Columbia want why would Columbia's president want this firm to fail? Like is Columbia going to is the president going to order uh, anyone to go in there like in his account uh, in his uh legal uh what's the, the attorney general is he gonna go tell the attorney general hey investigate how this company bought christmas trees uh through their charity and avoided taxes like no of course not this company's hiring thousands of people is creating economic prosperity in barranquilla which is traditionally a poor part of the country uh it's been it's nothing but good for for colombia to have a a uh, forward-looking company like this, they sell a lot of glass for solar panels in particular, which I think uh, Colombia has been looking at. How can we have something ESG because half our economy is oil exports, which is obviously not good in, in the current world, and so this is the sort of company that Colombia has been putting on its on its brochures. Like, hey, invest in Colombia, we can build your modern manufacturing at cheaper prices than China or Vietnam or whatnot. Uh, you've got the closed shipping. It's very cheap to ship from Columbia to Miami, obviously. So this is a great place to put manufacturing, and Columbia doesn't want their like flagship manufacturing company to go bust because of some short sellers. It it's, just doesn't make any sense. Uh specifically on numbers, Colombian GDP is 400 billion a year, roughly, and technoglass is over half a billion dollars of revenue. So it's more than 0.1% of the entire country's GDP out of like one company that didn't exist up until the 19, uh, late 1980s. So very impressive to have uh, an upstart firm like that in a smaller city that's not one of Colombia's more dynamic cities to create economic prosperity out of nothing. Uh, Also, Hindenburg linked Technoglass to former uh, Baranquia mayor Alex Char, who has been accused of various things, which... Uh, it might sound bad, oh, they're in with corrupt people, whatnot. Uh, but if you're actually familiar with the situation here in Colombia, Char is one of the front runners to be president in the next election in 2022. And so I don't know about you, but I'm not real keen on short-selling a stock where uh, the CEO is buddy-buddy with potentially the next president of the country. Like That seems like a pretty bad risk reward. Like this guy can go give contracts to them. Uh, it's not just Char, either The uh, Gustavo Petro, who's the leader of the Socialist Party in the country, who's ahead in the polls. He sent out a long message earlier this year uh, congratulating the, the Dice Brothers for their successes and has pointed to Technoglass as a leader of the socially responsible sorts of companies that, that Colombia should embrace in the future. And Petro pointed to how we need to get rid of oil and coal companies in Colombia and and hold up companies with renewable technologies like Technoglass instead. So presumably if the Socialist Party wins, uh, they would be giving subsidies and contracts to Technoglass to build solar panels and other things for the government. So I think either way, your yeah, next election here is going to... I mean, currently the, the current president of Colombia said the people running this company are geniuses. And then the next election, you've got a good shot at more people who are friends with these guys. Uh, so yeah I did bad stuff with cartels 30 years ago but what's that what's that got to do with where the company is today I said very very little here in Colombia anything that happened before 2010 is ancient history to give some perspective my wife uh, up until she was a high school student she couldn't leave the town she was boring because the all of the roads outside of town were controlled by cartels or by the left wing groups they would kidnap people Uh, the buses that would go by they would they would charge people tolls, and I'm using the air quotes around tolls. Uh, sometimes the government would send in the military to try to clear them out, but then the the left-wing groups would set the buses on fire. So basically, my wife was a, a prisoner in her own city up until the late 2000s because she just couldn't leave home. That's how weak the Colombian government was. So you come in here as a short seller from New York and say, hey... These guys did bad stuff in the 1980s. It's like, you don't know anything about Colombia if, if you're going to base what's going on in 2021 on stuff that happened 40 years ago. Uh, so just summing up, I'd say that this is really not a great case for for people being bearish on the stock. Like Say something about the business. Like, is there something wrong with the windows? Look at the demand in Florida. You can go see their windows all over the place. Go check out the Royal Caribbean terminal there. Uh, they've got buildings in D.C., they've got buildings in New York. Uh, No one, from what I can tell, has any complaints about whether the product works or not. The sales are real. I mean, just go look at all the houses that are being built in Miami. You'll find technoglass all over the place. This isn't hard to verify. I I live near the factory that's talked to tons of people that have worked there that uh, yeah, it's the the allegations here are all circumstantial. It's like these people did bad stuff in the past, so therefore it's, they're not credible today. It's like, yeah, well, maybe management is skimming some money off the side. I wouldn't be shocked, but hey, it's an emerging market. What do you expect? So that's where I see things. Uh, let me open up the line. Does anyone have any questions, comments, concerns? There's, there should be a button at the bottom of the phone uh if anyone if anyone would like to request to speak next, just tap on there um, or while we're waiting for someone to come up oh, here we go half day Are you there half day Yes, can you hear me?
1: Yes, okay, so I have a question about the um the two founders. Um, they their current ownership of the company, oh, the, the entire insider stake in the company is fairly low, like one seven, one point seven one percent ish, um, of the entire company stake. So, um, how do they? Do you have any insights as to whether this is normal or this is less optimal? And and do you know of their compensation practices? Um, my perspective is if they don't really have a it's an alignment if they don't really have a big stake with the shareholders then the only way for them to profit is to stay away from the public company
0: yes that's correct uh that's a good question one second i'm, I'm gonna bring up the, the oh, uh, echo i'm bringing up the the 10k here yes okay so i've got it here the You're correct that uh, from the the apparent filings, the insiders own very little of the stock. However, the the Dice brothers who control the company own virtually all of their holdings through what's called Energy Holding Corporation, which is a trust that they own. And that firm, the Energy Holding Corporation, owns 55% of the company. And so the Dice Brothers, uh, yeah, they own 55% of the company. And in the past, uh, when Technoglass was paying large dividends, they chose to receive the dividends as stock to increase their ownership stake in the company rather than taking a cash dividend. And so that showed them... uh, a kind of a, a show of confidence that so they're paying a dividend out to, to the outside shareholders, but they wanted to increase their stake in the company uh, themselves.
1: Okay, so we should be looking at that energy company, and it's the only they have over 55% of the company.
0: They have 54.8% as of the the 10K for this year, so. Oh,
1: okay, okay. That, that's yeah. very good to know. And then secondly, um, do you know um, how, um, I'm very surprised that Columbia, I don't know about this company much, but I'm surprised that uh, as far as 10 years ago, it was still so, like, uh, uh, chaotic. But mm-hmm. um, I see your previous post that you attach some importance to the heritage foundation uh ranking where Colombia should That's rank good. pretty high so that really gives me some uh, i don't know how to uh how to look at the heritage foundation because a uh, ranking because in my limited knowledge i wouldn't associate a country i don't know maybe uh, previously it wasn't ranked so high it was recently ranked so high after things have calmed down but um how would how would you square um A a country whose um, internal political um, uh, dynamics were as emerging country as what you described in your article uh, with uh, uh, above average Heritage Foundation ranking. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Yeah, I'd say up until... Up until the Uribe government in 2002, Colombia was a poor performer, both in terms of democratic practices, but also in terms of the economy. The country almost went bankrupt in 2001. It came very close to going bankrupt. Like all the Colombian banking stocks went down 90, 95 percent, uh, and the peso lost the majority of its value. And so, I would say that that kind of marked the turning point for Colombia. That you finally had the door open. People said basically were fed up with the the existing order, and they elected this hard right-wing uh, Uribe figure who kind of followed the Chilean, the Pinochet model, which uh, obviously I don't want to defend Pinochet, but uh, his economic policies were, were effective. And Julie, uh not, not Julie, uh Colombia followed a lot of the same. They brought in economists from kind of a libertarian or a free markets perspective from the U.S. to to run economic policy under Uribe, well, he was in charge of, he put the military out into every little town and jungle and everything to try to control the situation. And he so successfully broke the the left wing and cartel resistance groups that so they had to come to peace. And so... I'd say that kind of the ending of the Civil War marked a new era. You just had a ton of foreign capital come in uh, in the late 2000s. Uh, the IMF and World Bank uh, gave a lot of money to Colombia to help develop, and the country has done a tremendous job in terms of bringing down crime and uh, improving the rule of law. Uh, and the judiciary has become independent over the last 10 years. Uh, there's no guarantees. That's, that this will last. We can hope, fingers crossed. Obviously, I, I'm a Colombian resident, so I've, I'm very personally invested in things staying improved. But I would say that just the when the country nearly went bankrupt in 2000, that, that gave such a, a tremendous uh, push that the government was able to enact uh, very radical policies of change.
1: Uh, and uh, reason for the current situation on the ground, would it um, how important it is to be politically correct in order to be successful um, as a business in Colombia? Well, my, my point is, for instance, in Taiwan nowadays there is this this pro independence versus pro um, like unification camp. So if you're in the wrong camp, um, mainland will slap you with sanctions. Like or if you're in the wrong camp, the current Taiwan government will slap you with things so how how divisive is the current colombia um government like different factions, and how important is it to be is it to uh, how, um how how um how how likely is it to be wrong on the wrong side of the- uh, the prevailing political wings
0: okay absolutely. Yeah yeah and so I, I totally hear you and you you're right that, that, that situations like that in Taiwan could be devastating for investors if they end up on the wrong side of a of a battle between two political factions. Here in Colombia you've had uh after uh Uribe was president from 2002 to 10 his hand successor was president until 18 and then his protege was president until 2022, until next year. So we've had continuous right wing, pretty aggressively right wing government for more than uh, for 20 years now, um, and and all of the presidential candidates that are running, except one, would continue that general general framework, which would be favorable. I'd argue for Technoglass, or for basically any. Uh, free market business kind of thing. Uh, The opposition, the left-wing Petro, he lost the last election, I think it was 55 to 45, so not particularly close, Uh, but he's likely to be the opposition candidate again this time. Uh, He might win this time. The government became very unpopular because of its handling of COVID and the economy. It's becoming more popular now because the economy is booming once again, but I don't know if There's enough time before the election, which is in April, uh, for the government to regain popularity and get one of its uh, right-wing people elected. However, if Petro and the left-wing wins, that's why I pointed out that Petro has been saying nice things about Technoglass as well. And so I think in Technoglass's case, it's a win-win either way, because the left-wing... His campaign uh, slogan last time was to build a to build an orange economy, not a brown economy, meaning that he wanted to base it on agriculture like flowers uh, fresh cut flowers and avocados, and stuff that comes. Uh, without a carbon impact rather than oil and uh, coal, which is traditionally our economy. And so Petro has been on the record saying we need to build a lot more solar and Technoglass is the supplier of of glass for solar panels in Colombia. And so it seems like even if Petro wins, which would be negative for the Colombian economy in general, that there would still be subsidies and help to this company in particular because they have a profit sharing program. Like they're very forward in terms of, of the kind of social talking points around social democracy and all the profit sharing with the workers. The foundation gives money to the employees when like, when they get sick or they help with education and stuff. So this is the sort of company that Petro wants to embrace. So I don't see any problems politically in 2022 for Technoglass. Maybe in 2026 we're having this discussion again because I have no idea where politics will be in five years. But I don't see it as a risk in the near term.
1: Okay,
0: thank you. I have more questions, but I want to see the floor to other speakers, uh, other callers. Uh, fair, yeah. That sounds good, and I'll let you back out All right, Frank. Uh... You're on, Frank. Yes, I was wondering if you might comment on Ren Ren, because it's down quite a bit today. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, sure. Just quickly, I've written about that one in the past a Chinese special situation that. Uh, Uh, There was a lawsuit to reclaim assets that had been siphoned off at the company in 2018. A judge blocked the order today. Uh, I haven't seen the judge's transcript for why, but it appears they want to make it backdate to the people that own the stock in 2018 instead of 2021, uh, which would mean that the current shareholders would not get very much. Uh, So it seems pretty binary now that if If the settlement's off, the stock goes back to like five bucks. And somehow if the settlement goes forward, then the stack would go back to 25. But I haven't seen the judges, uh, a transcript of the judge's opinion yet. So I'll have to defer judgment until I've read out more. That's my understanding of it uh, to this point. Yep. Perfect. Thank you so much. All right. Gary. Can you hear me? Absolutely. Uh, Welcome.
2: Yeah, thank you. Um, and sorry if you covered this. I, I I was about 10 minutes late getting in, but I'm curious if you think that the Technoglass situation will affect Colombian banks.
0: Yeah, that's fair. That's a good question. Uh, let's see. I believe their debt to the extent they have debt, I believe they sold debt internationally. So it's not uh, I don't think there would be I, mean, I don't think the business is in any danger of being insolvent but even if something did go wrong with the business i don't think the colombian banks have much exposure to it because they did a bond deal in dollars uh, colombian stocks are down a few percent today based on the gxg etf but i believe techno glasses uh, let me check but i believe it's one of the top holdings in the etf so that's probably just uh from that let me check yeah, so Technoglass is the sixth largest holding in the Columbia ATF and the Columbia ATF is down two and a half percent today. Uh but that's probably just because obviously Technoglass is down forty percent. Like uh ben Columbia, which is the largest listed company in Colombia, is flat today. So uh, I don't think it'll make a huge impact. Almost all of the Colombian economy is based in either Bogota or Medellin, which is what makes uh, what makes so interesting because they're bringing prosperity to a part of the country that's traditionally been very poor. But uh, there's there's very little economic power uh, where they're located. So if they were to if the Dice Brothers were to run into trouble, it wouldn't really take down anyone else of importance. <laughs> Okay, and do you have a feeling on the Colombian banks here
2: since they pulled back some?
0: Yeah, I still really like them, I, I think that it's one of the best ways to, if you're bullish on commodities and worried about inflation, I think it's one of the best ways to get exposure. Uh, yeah, and then, I uh, mean, they've been recording record profits. Uh, Bank Colombia, CIB is. Maybe the easier one to own now, just because it's a very business-as-usual uh, sort of thing. Aval is spinning off its Central American banking franchise next year, which could be interesting. might be worth more independently. Avall uh, bought the... Excuse me, say Avall bought the GE. GE owned a large Central and South American bank, and when GE ran into trouble after 2008, they sold that at a fire sale price to Avall. So, they got the largest bank in El Salvador, Nicaragua, Guatemala, and, and Panama, I believe. Uh, and so, that will be a separate company starting next year. And uh, maybe it's worth more uh, independently, but above uh, will probably be more volatile heading into the spinoff. I'll cover the spinoff as we get closer to it. But for just uh set it and forget it, Ben Columbia looks good here. I think it's worth 50 bucks a share today, and it's at uh, 33. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you All right, half day Do you want to hop back up? Anyone else? Right.
1: Hello Hi
0: yep. uh, Welcome I'm, back I'm
1: uh, still on the uh, Techno Glass I don't know much about this glass company Previously, but I have some questions About what you perceive as their Moat uh, In terms of uh-huh. glass companies In Colombia or glass companies globally, I only have one uh, observation. Into, I, if glass company is like a cement company, they require a lot of energy to produce and they need to be closely located to where the end products are used. And they need often uh, a government license. So being able to, establish, to be established in the first place is uh, quite something. So can you comment uh, from their advantages Inter- competitiveness near their peers in that country or globally?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so I think you mentioned a couple of their advantages. One, uh, you said location, which is absolutely right. Uh, they're located just a few kilometers from the ports of Barranquilla, which is the main Atlantic Colombian port. So it's the very best place in the country for exports to the United States or, other, uh, or to Europe. Uh, shipping between Columbia and Florida in particular, and also to New York, is very cheap because Columbia has a trade deficit. So we receive more ships of imported goods than we send back out. So frequently ships go from Barranquilla back to Miami with nothing on them. And so they've been able to get very cheap shipping rates because now shippers can haul any cargo, which is better than just the ship going empty, which is how they'd been running for years. Um, yeah, and then just because they're located here, they don't have to deal with, Uh, the infrastructure to get stuff from Bogotá or Medellín from the mountains to the ports is very poor, but they have a competitive advantage versus anyone else in Colombia in that they're located right next to the port. Uh, And because they're friends with all of the politicians in Barranquilla and Cartagena, I don't see... It seems unlikely that the government would license competition right next to them because all of those politicians rely on technoglass for contributions and taxes. So I think they're... they're, uh, a location in Colombia is, is secure, SMO. In terms of their technological advantage, they have patents on a variety of hurricane proof glass. Uh, the Technoglass, originally, their big sales point was selling to condos, uh, other tall buildings in Florida and in the Caribbean that have to stand up to Category 3, Category 4 hurricanes. Um, and so, from my understanding, they have some actual stuff that some of the other glass companies can't compete with them on directly. Uh, but I'd say their bigger mode is just the distribution advantage and obviously the cost of labor is that they're paying 3 or $4 an hour to employees, whereas a glass company based in, I think one of them is based in Minnesota and they're paying more than $30 an hour to their employees. And so it's uh, particularly selling to Florida, which is right near their They're based in Colombia, and then they sell to the Latinos. Like, Florida is half Latino now, so it's a very easy market for Colombia to sell into. Uh, Yeah, so uh, management often talks about trying to expand to all of the U.S. and expand to Europe, and I think they opened an office in Italy for the Middle East that maybe they lost, like, $20 million. Like I've said, this management team has problems. They have global ambitions, and I'm not sure that they have the – Management expertise to become a global empire, like they might wish to, but they're very strong in their local market that they're good at.
1: Yeah, uh, you mentioned in your article that they botched a, a good situation in twenty sixteen. Can you elaborate
0: on that? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was. Uh, I think mentioning that they had opened an office in Europe and they wanted to try to get contracts in the Middle East, uh, but I don't think they had any competitive advantage for trying to. And I think Colombians just saw, oh, they're building all these skyscrapers in Dubai and in UAE, you know, and they thought that this would be an attractive market for them. Uh, But all the advantages they had in terms of having uh, Latinos to sell to and having uh, good shipping costs went away when they were trying to compete over there. And so that was shut down. I think I don't think they got any revenues from that. It was just a total loss.
1: Um Have they already saturated in the Latin America and the North American markets such that they want to go even further
0: out yeah that's an interesting question uh. Yeah, because they up until up until around the time of the specs they generated the majority. The spec was in 2014. Up until then, they got the majority of their revenues from selling to Colombia and selling to other Caribbean, uh, Central American countries. And now the U.S. is almost all of their revenues. And so, kind of, they've they've actually lost market share, lost opportunity in Colombia and other local markets. And management says that's just because the economy crashed. Year, which is generally true. There was a housing bubble in Colombia, particularly related to apartments. You go to smaller, like tier two cities in Colombia and there'd be thirty cranes building apartments, and pretty much all of that stopped when oil went down. Uh and so basically they've just said nobody's building condos in Colombia, so we haven't been able to sell any product here. Uh I think that's probably true, but now the economy's growing again, so Colombian revenue should come back. If they don't, that would be suspicious. Uh because the economy is uh, going really good here now. and so it's very strange that they haven't been able to get more revenue from colombia and other local markets as far as expanding farther in the us i think they should be able to sell like texas would be a good market Houston's port is uh, almost as close to the us as miami's and there's a large latino community that would be happy to uh, buy and install their products there so I would like to see them expand in Texas, but I think management has been more interested in trying to get into New York because that would be kind of more prestigious. But I'm not sure there's probably more competition there. Um,
1: what What's the best metric to use to value this, this type of company?
0: Yeah, I think analysts traditionally use EV to EBITDA. Uh, that's certainly what it's compared with uh, against peers. Uh, earnings have been... Quite variable for when there's currency as currency fluctuates because their costs are in pesos generally to pay their employees but their revenues are usually in dollars. uh So there's been a lot of currency fluctuation in earnings and also they keep like they expand the factory almost every year now. It's uh, it's just been growing, adding hundreds of employees and also there's been a lot of growth capital use there. Uh, so most people look at EBITDA. Prior to today, last close yesterday, thirty three seventy was selling at thirteen times EBITDA. Uh, but now we're at let's see this doesn't refresh live, but I think we're at eight times EBITDA. There's very little, little net debt, so basically all of the loss today has been from its uh oh, yeah, yeah, I think it's about eight times EV now and the peers which i g. Yeah, so it looks like the U.S. peers is around 10 times. So it was only at a premium, probably because of the growth rate, and now it's at a discount again. And to, to reiterate, I thought the $34 price didn't make any sense. Obviously, I sold my TechnoGlass stock this spring when I got up to around around where it is now, like $18, $19. So, um, yeah. Yeah,
1: and finally, can you comment on the cash flow aspect of this company um, from a forensic? accounting perspective, if you have any insight.
0: Um, yeah, so they've been free cash flow positive in recent years. I think that was one of the concerns, one of the reasons why the stock didn't work from when it uh, did its back in 2014 through, let me see. Yeah, through, through 2019 it was cash flow negative and that was one of the bearish talking points around the stock and why it stayed below $10. Uh, but then in 2020, uh, they generated, uh, let's see, more than $50 million of cash, and then they've generated almost $100 million of cash over the past 12 months. And so as demand has gone up, particularly with the housing boom, they've uh, finally started generating a good deal of cash. Um, yeah, and they pay a little dividend. Uh, I believe Colombian law mandates that profitable companies have to pay a dividend. So it's an interesting feature that forces some uh shareholder return there uh but yeah I, I don't think it'll throw off a huge amount of cash yet because they're still trying to grow uh, rather quickly do you
1: have confidence in the yeah auditor? they've
0: got a big four auditor they they did have auditing problems when they listed They they got they didn't know how to do the uh, the SPAC warrants correctly because they had hired Colombian auditors originally and no Colombians had dealt with uh specs before. So auditing was a red flag here through about 2016, but in 2017 they got a Big Four auditor and have stayed with the same Big Four auditor since then. Uh, and so I think the books are trustworthy. They've looked at the okay, the yeah, they looked at the related party transactions okay. and uh, didn't raise any concerns about them.
1: Yeah, I'm good. Thank you.
0: Mm-hmm. Thanks for all the questions. It was really good. Mm-hmm. Generated great uh discussion. Craig,
2: uh, let's see. <clears throat> you can you, you hear me? Yeah. Uh, you, yeah. You like the $12.50 uh, uh, puts for December. Um, I was looking at the February puts. It's, it's only two months. It's about 5%. And so it's just $5. Let's put.
0: see. Yeah, the twelve fifty puts are almost they're down to twenty cents now, so they're not as attractive as this morning. Let me bring up the options pricing. I haven't looked at the pricing since I hopped on the call, so let me update my screen here. Let's see. Are there twelve fifty uh yeah, twelve fifty? Okay, yeah. It looks like Oh yeah, there's not there's not a lot of liquidity. The February is bid thirty five, ask ninety. Yeah, if you could sell towards Seventy cents. That would probably be attractive, or the 15s or a dollar by a dollar twenty-five. So probably you could sell a dollar ten, a dollar fifteen for February. That would give you a cost basis under fourteen if it hit, and otherwise that would be what an eight percent return on cash in in two months. Yeah.
2: But you said cost basis under fourteen. I think I lost you. I was looking at the five dollar puts and the seven fifty puts.
0: Oh, I did not realize those even existed. Wow. Uh, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, the 750s are $0.30 cents by $0.50 cents for February. Yeah, if you could sell those for $0.40, cents, I mean, that's, that's 20% of the capital you would be committing and would get you a cost basis. At seven. Yeah, that's those are way overpriced. I have no idea why people would be buying that. Like, that would put... Let me do the math here, 750, 750, how many shares are, out? Do, do, do. yeah, so that'd be a market cap of like 400 million for less than 400 million, yeah, 750 is a ludicrous price, there's no way that the stock would get there, yeah, th- that should be totally fine, uh, I can't believe people are paying that much for the 750s. Yeah, I didn't even look out that far. I went down to the 1250s. And, uh, yeah, I like that. Ooh,
2: I'm proud of myself. I found something interesting. <laughs> yeah,
0: there you go. Yeah, the, Thanks. Yeah, even prior to the pandemic, the company earned 55 cents in 2019. And uh, I believe they're going to earn... Let me bring up the analyst numbers. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so prior to the pandemic, like even if you think like all of the gains I've made since the the housing boom kicked off in the US and they go back to 2019 profits, I mean, that would still be like 10 times earnings down at that price. And now analysts see, for I mean, they earned what 160 for this year and they're going to earn 180 next year, analysts think, but maybe they cut that after today's price action. But yeah, you've got a company earning like 160, 180 a share I mean, the odds of that trading at seven dollars are virtually new. I think it's way too low, even at, at fifteen, which is why I say that why I sold twelve fifty. Puts. But yeah, I I've, I basically spent this call just talking about what my issues with the Hindenburg report. But yeah, you've got earnings of one sixty this year, going up to two dollars a share in twenty twenty three, and now they've knocked the stock down. I acted down under 20 this morning, so less than 10 times earnings for a business that's been growing top line at like 30% a year. It's like, you really want to be short this company in the midst of a historic housing boom? It's, I I totally get why they shorted it at 33, but I, I don't understand why anyone would stay short at these prices. It just seems crazy risky in a market like this.
2: Okay. I've got another question. It may be a bit unfair, so you can improvise your answer any way you want. By the way. You said... Oh, you hear me, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you maybe about a month ago you said to someone which is why it's unfair cuz go go remember what you said to someone a month ago. Something about you rarely do- uh, double down on on uh, options. Mhm. I that's all I remember from what you said that. I was just curious about that. So if you can elaborate a little bit on that.
0: Oh okay, yeah, yeah. Uh I think that was in the context of talking about uh AI, C3AI, which had dropped dramatically. And I bought options thinking either this thing will recover or it will keep going down, but it was unlikely to stay at its current price. And so I said, I'm going to buy an option because if it recovers, I will get a multi-bagger return. And if it doesn't, then my loss is limited at the option price I paid. Uh, yeah. And I would, I stand by that as a general metric Like you don't want to, you don't want to chase something down with options because when you're wrong you lose hundred percent of your capital. And so if you keep doing that over and over trying to catch the bounce on something, then then that's going to be hard to recover from. Uh, but in the case of the stock, like I had bought the stock back in twenty seventeen under one set of circumstances, like that I thought the company was unfairly penalized for being in Colombia and being an ex Uh and so on, and then in 2020, I was looking at it from a totally different lens. Like, hey, the housing market's booming. There's going to be a shortage of windows, and this thing's trading at like five times where next year's earnings could be. And so, yeah, you're right. To be concerned, you don't want to keep doubling down just because, uh, laying more good money after bad. But in that case, the thesis had totally changed due to the pandemic. The pandemic basically made this company because the the demand for windows went to. Previously unforeseen levels, they've expanded the factory twice now since the pandemic. They've got the factory running twenty four seven, like three shifts, in bad in Kia they can sell everything they can produce. They're sold out for six months, so, and so I mean, just the situation had entirely changed in this case. Okay, yep. thanks. Hey, anyone else want to hop on? Looks like we're getting a little bit of a recovery towards the end of the day. The stock's closing in on 23 uh, with a few minutes left in the trading day. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, so uh, we'll see where things go from here. Obviously, they're still waiting for... uh, Management did... I don't think they've responded in English yet, but the CEO posted on Twitter in Spanish... Uh, that this was more lies from the people who'd made up the the ticket scalping scandal against him, and he said that uh, that the management is dealing with it and to keep the faith in the company. So yeah, whatever, it's not really a not really a powerful rebuttal, but the management is aware of it and doing something. But as I've said, their communication skills in English aren't great, so we'll see when they. Get around to responding in English to the short seller report, but it looks like the stock's finding a little bit of support here. Like I said, Baird, one of the banks that covers it, came out and said this is all the Hindenburg report was all old news uh, and that they hadn't discovered anything new that would re- be relevant to the investment thesis today. And looks like that's carrying the day. And the stock's back up five points off the lows. So I think we'll leave it there. And you know how to reach me for, for further questions and comments in the future. So. Thank you all for coming and hope you learned something and we'll talk
2: again soon. Bye.